Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin and I'm flying solo today, but I have a really cool guest in. I am sitting down today with Kyle Harrison, who is the Governance and Training Specialist here in the Program Integrity Department at Global Seafood Alliance. And I knew him, and you'll hear me talk about this at the end, I knew Kyle um, from our experiences that we had in the development of some of the auditor training courses that we offer here. And so I had no idea that he had this whole other side of him where um, he has all kinds of experience with aquaponics. Kyle approached me and said, hey, you know, I have a passion and a lot of experience with aquaponics and hydroponics, and um, I would love to talk on the show about that, and it's and it would be a really fun conversation. And I said, absolutely, we haven't really talked about that. So what we're doing is we are going to be doing kind of a two-episode, I guess you could call it a mini-series, all about aquaponics. And this first episode today is kind of a quick rundown, a 30,000-foot view of what aquaponics is, how it works. And, you know, defining aquaponics versus hydroponics, we take a, we talk a little bit into the history of this type of system and how it works and, and some of the benefits and drawbacks to it. Uh, and then the next episode, we're going to have an additional guest on with Kyle again uh, to get more into the, the nitty gritty science of it. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with Kyle. But before I get into it, I want to remind everybody, like I always do, to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. So every time a new episode comes out, it will be automatically downloaded directly to your device. If you want to get in contact with us, you can find us on Twitter at AquademiaPod, or you can use the contact form that is located on our website. And that website is www.globalseafood.org slash podcast. And remember, if you like the show and you want to help us out, please take a minute to leave us a rating and review on whichever platform you listen to us on. Like I said, it really helps us out and we appreciate everybody that's already done that. All right. Enjoy this conversation that I had with Kyle and I'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all... All right, I'm sitting down today, just me, with Kyle Harrison, who's a good friend of ours. He is the governance and training specialist in the program integrity department here at GSA. How's it going, Kyle? Hi, it's going well. Happy to be here. Kyle approached me after we were talking about the podcast uh, in the office here, and he was like, hey, did you know that like my thing is aquaponics? And I was like, no, I did not know that. And so we talked a little bit, and we thought it'd be really cool to do kind of a two-part episode, with the first part being a look at aquaponics as kind of a general overview. Like, Rick, what is it? Like, let's talk about it. Because I think a lot of people who listen and who are kind of in our ecosystem have an idea of what aquaponics are, but they might not really be that familiar with it. And it's not really something that we've talked about on the show. So it's kind of an adjacent topic to aquaculture and fishery stuff uh, because it involves it involves aquaculture, but it also involves agriculture at the same time. It's super cool. But before we get into it and talking about the kind of 30,000 foot view of what aquaponics is, we're going to learn about Kyle, uh, who, by the way, I'm looking at his notebook. He has the the coolest handwriting of anyone I've ever met. So good for you for that. And uh, Kyle, tell us who you are and kind of give us a little backstory of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually, so I learned about aquaponics uh, in my high school biology class. And uh, that's what really got me down the uh, the biology road. Um, straight out of high school, I, I decided... I decided to go into uh, environmental studies and policy at Champlain College in Burlington, Vermont. Um, and that 
gave me the opportunity to really take a deep dive into what I had learned about uh, hydroponics and aquaculture and combine the two into aquaponics, uh, which today is a very, uh, it's a relatively new field. Actually, there's the majority of the research I was doing in college, these research papers were coming out um, like the year before oh, I was wow. doing these projects. Um, and these are, you know, heavily peer reviewed papers. So uh, it's quite a process for these to be published. And the fact that all of my research was based 2015 or 2016, 2017, nothing pre that. There, There's a very limited knowledge base prior to 2010. Hmm. So aquaponics is new in that sense. Interesting. So what did you, did you work with aquaponics before you came here? Right. Yeah. So I, um, I helped my, my father actually is a teacher at Concord High School and he, uh, worked with his, uh, his department as a science teacher to create an experiential learning uh, opportunity for his students to go and basically create a greenhouse dome that incorporated aquaponics as the source of fertilizer to grow plants and fish year round. Uh, so I helped him build that system, uh, grew up with 50 tilapia living in my bedroom for quite a while. <laughs> so yeah, it was, uh, I was deep into it right from the get go. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I'm just picturing, <laughs> sorry. You know, you're not the first person that's been on the show that's told, talked to us about like having a tank of tilapia or having a tank of fish growing in their, in their house or in their basement or something like that. So, yep. uh, I think a lot of people in aquaculture do start that way. So let's, like I said, this is kind of, part one of a part two that we're of a two-parter episode that we're going to do um, with that second part, getting more into the nitty gritty uh, of aquaponics with an additional guest that will be named later because we have a couple ideas for who we want to do. And it's called going to depend on who's available, but this one is more the broad overview. So let's ask the big question, what is aquaponics? And in that same sense, I'm going to ask you, you know, you mentioned hydroponics versus aquaponics. Let's, Maybe start there. Like, what's what's the difference between the two? And then what it is aquaponics in the sense of, like, a practice and the goals and everything? Right. Yeah. So uh, you're absolutely right. You do need to start with the understanding of hydroponics as a way to grow crops without the use of soil. Um, it began... Seems counterintuitive. Like, right. Exactly. <laughs> Usually people associate, you know, agriculture, plants, dirt. You need good dirt and soil organic matter is, is necessary to supply those nutrients. Um, in hydroponics, you skip that step entirely and you just uh, insert the nutrients directly into water. And that began as, in the 1900s as a study uh, using what's called nutrient film technique. And just by directly applying this nutrient-filled water to plant roots. Uh, people were able to grow crops without needing to deplete any resources from the soil. Uh, so the word aquaponics comes from the marriage of aquaculture and hydroponics, that ponics part being uh, made with water. Okay. So how, I don't, I, I don't want to get too far away, but I want to learn more about hydroponics because i actually didn't know about mm -hmm. that um i've heard the word but don't didn't realize that it's just the aquaponics side without fish so how do you 
you say you inject the water basically with these nutrients. How do you do that? Where does the nutrients come from? And when it was developed, why were they concerned with not utilizing the soil? Right. Yeah. So that we're can, getting a history lesson too. I like absolutely. It. <laughs> yeah. There is a lot of there's a lot of background here uh, in what was called the Green Revolution. Uh, they uh, everybody's heard of the Dust Bowl, uh, and that was essentially when the soil really became overused, overtilled, and essentially a lot of the Midwest turned to sand because all that soil organic matter was sucked up by uh, overproduction. Hmm. And, and food was plentiful for quite a while, but at some point, people overused the soil. The land can only handle so much. Exactly, yeah. So that nitrogen and carbon, um, all those necessary macronutrients were removed from the soil into crops that were doing really well at first and then just started to die off because the soil couldn't retain this, this production cycle anymore. Hmm. Um, and so it became um, an, an issue that people wanted to solve, saying maybe we don't even need the soil in the first place uh, to grow these crops. Uh, and that was actually, believe it or not, aquaponics was a thing long before hydroponics was a thing. Okay, see, that makes more sense now to me. <laughs> yeah, but we lost that technology. That was something that we didn't realize. That's why it's coming back as a new thing. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, so the first people uh, who we believe sort of discovered this process of using uh, fish and plants in conjunction to grow crops without the use of soil uh, were the Mayans, uh, believe it or not. they grew on large rafts on these huge lakes that they realized there was plenty of nutrients to grow crops directly on the lake using reed rafts, essentially. And that was a, really the inception of aquaponics. So with just the roots kind of going through the rafts and just free floating in the... In that's the right. Rafts. Yeah. And that's... So that's a different kind of aquaponics. There are... There are let me back up a little bit. There are three primary techniques uh, to grow using aquaponics, and that's, I already named nutrient film technique, NFT. Um, and then there's deep water culture, which is what the Mayans were using. Okay. And that's using rafts on giant pools of nutrient-rich water. Uh, and then the, the third primary method is through media beds, which is pretty similar to like how bamboo is grown. Uh, bamboo grows primarily in gravelly conditions, but in streams more than anything. Hmm. There are some plants that grow primarily in shallow water and stream beds that don't necessarily need a good media uh, that's full of nutrients, but rather something to hold on to. Something that's strong enough to, to keep the roots in place. Exactly. Yeah. And if the roots can stay there and the water th flows through with enough nutrients, then the plants can grow just fine. Right. So it's almost like I, I'm picturing like like invertebrates in the ocean, right? Like like a hold fast mm. on, on something like you basically just need something to latch onto. You don't need you're not necessarily getting the nutrients from it like a traditional plant would. Right. It just needs something structurally that it can hold it up. <laughs> exactly. So gotcha. that, that would be the media beds uh, way of to grow, um, which Primarily, people use uh, pumice-like material, little clay rocks. Something that's porous. Yes, it needs to be porous. So the water can flow through. Yep. Yeah. And uh, that also helps nitrogen actually to form physically on the mm. gravel or whatever media that is. Interesting. And what was the other one? The film? 
Yeah, nutrient film technique. Have what, you talked about that? I know you mentioned it, but have we gone into that yet? And I just missed it. Um, that was that started as hydroponics. So okay. that's where hydroponics started. And then people realized, well, instead of just injecting artificially produced nutrients um, into the water, uh, for example, using the Haber-Bosch process is the first time we discovered we could take nitrogen from the atmosphere, which the nitrogen uh, is is fixed using a lot of heat and pressure right out of the atmosphere, which is made of mostly nitrogen. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how synthetic fertilizer is created. It also, as a byproduct, produces a ton of greenhouse gases. Not great. Yeah, not great. Uh, and it's how the majority of agriculture in most countries actually fertilize their crops. Whenever synthetic fertilizers used, it's primarily produced from the Haber-Bosch process. Okay. Interesting. And that, that ex basically it extracts nitrogen and directly concentrates from the it. Yep. And then you have it in what a liquid form, basically. Uh, <laughs> it's you... solid actually. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. It's uh, so it, they can fix it into a solid form uh, that's cleaner. People consider it cleaner because um, there's no carbon in there. Like in the case of manure, that's, you know, animal waste mm -hmm. is, has a lot more than just nitrogen in it, but it is nitrogen rich, right? which is why it was the original fertilizer and still is, um, which also using manure as uh, fertilizer has its own drawbacks. It being, uh, there's a ton of greenhouse gases produced from livestock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cow farts. Exactly. You, you got to love the cow farts con conversation. <laughs> yep. Okay, cool. So in this day and age, we know now we kind of did a little history. So aquaponics is a way to grow crops and fish, and it's kind of like a symbiotic relationship between the two in a way that, that right. we have manufactured. Yep. Really. That's right? exactly it. Okay, so walk us through the process. All right, so... Um, it, it's actually something I noticed when I first came here, and I was totally expecting there to be some sort of aquaponics incorporated standard um, through BAP. Turns out there is a standard in development called uh, the, the RAS standard, Recirculating Aquaculture System. And that, that's a vanguard um, that we is in production right now and actually should be coming out fairly soon. Um, but it's a little bit removed from what BAP focuses on with best aquaculture practices, adding in the whole hydroponic side of things and growing plants is beyond the scope of what we normally certify. Right. And I remember that when I was a certification specialist, I was in charge of bringing in new new mm. facilities. And, and I had a facility contact me that had a, an aquaponic system in like like on the second floor of a warehouse in yeah. in you yeah. know New York City or something like that. And I was like, well, this is super cool. So let's like Let's make this happen. And then it just, there was a lot of complications once yes, we got into it. It is complicated. Uh, and I, and they were not certified when I left that position. I don't know if they continue to pursue it or not or <laughs> what's going on. But yeah, I remember there's a lot of complications with that. Right. It's, it is complicated, which is why it's considered a vanguard standard. It's above and beyond leading edge technology. Um, it's not an established industry practice. Right. Uh, so how that actually would help with, farm standard is managing effluent actually so the fish waste that's produced by every fish farm is currently just being managed through traditional channels by uh, dumping that water into a sludge pond or a wastewater management system 
uh, which is not typically that intense on the local environment if done properly, which is why we have pretty strict guidelines in our effluent management uh, farm standards and SBS standards, all of those. Uh, effluent needs to be managed. It can't just be thrown back into the environment. Right. Aquaponics solves that by taking that effluent and using the nutrients in fish waste to grow crops. And there's a few steps that need to happen between that. Uh, so fish waste, namely ammonia, um, is not something that plants can just absorb as nutrients. Right. It needs to first be processed by uh, two different bacteria. Yes, I love this. this is, <laughs> my, my nerdy past is coming back from my, yeah. my days in college and, <laughs> and just post-college, yeah. It's exciting. I'm honestly, like, it, the fact that we're just kind of rediscovering this after the Mayans figured it out is yeah. kind of hilarious. But, yeah, no, for, first, the ammonia needs to be processed by nitrosomonas. And that's a bacteria that uh, consumes the ammonia and produces, uh, converts it to nitrites. And then that nitrite can be consumed by nitrobacter, another kind of bacteria that consumes it and produces nitrates. Those can then be consumed by plants. And I, I think a lot of our listeners are going to be very familiar if they're especially if they're aquaculturists with the nitrogen cycle i know even if you're not doing aquaponics it's a big deal because ammonia and nitrites are toxic to the fish and at manageable levels nitrates are not toxic to the fish right, right. so i mean at, at extreme levels anything can be toxic that's right yeah but um i know that this is something that fish farms especially recirculating aquaculture systems they really need to that stay to be, on top of it and make sure yeah. that they're kind of nurturing both of those mm -hmm. colonies of bacteria to make sure that their, their, nitrogen, their nitrogen system is mm -hmm. working efficiently. That was a really big deal with us when I was working at the zebrafish facility. Mm. And I actually remember applying to a job right after I finished college. I won't say where it is, um, but if they're listeners, then you might remember this. I had an interview and they didn't really ask me that many questions, but they were like quizzing me and they were like, here's a piece of paper. Like, Draw out the nitrogen cycle for me. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was kind of weird. But that's how important it is, right? Like, yeah. yeah. So um, that's, a, that's a big deal. And I think a lot of people that are listening will be familiar with that. So this is that, that coming into play. But in an aquaponic system, it takes it a step further, right? Right. So what happens next? So uh, once the nitrates have been produced and by the, the bacteria culture, um, that passes through one of the three types of aquaculture systems, the, either the nutrient film technique, uh, the deep water culture, which is the raft style, and then uh, the media beds. And in media beds, that nitrogen can actually, uh, since it flows through a porous uh, media, can actually solidify on the surface of that media, which plants can uptake and then uh, grow through their roots which nitrogen being one of many macronutrients, uh, it's the primary focus in aquaculture because it's the primary waste product uh, mm -hmm. after ammonia. Um, and B, it's the primary macro macronutrient in plant production. That it's, again, the Haber-Bosch process it focuses on producing nitrogen as fertilizer uh, behind, of course, oxygen, carbon, and hydrogen which are all things the plant absorbs from the atmosphere already. What it primarily needs from fish waste are those other kind of down-the-line macronutrients, primarily nitrogen. 
you you mentioned that the this the nitrogen cycle is super important to understand in order for agriculture to be sustainable. Um, we know how to produce synthetic nitrates, which are then kind of thrown into fields and uh, become water soluble and, and uptake through through plant roots. However, m the majority of that nitrogen thrown into a field for traditional agriculture purposes actually it becomes runoff, and that runoff flows into uh, aquifers, lakes, rivers, streams, bodies of water that do that cannot handle that load of extra excess nitrogen. And do you think is that just because the plant life and all that can't really absorb it fast enough in time before it gets washed away by weather events and stuff like that. Right. Uh, it's it's like when you try to water a plant at home and there's holes in the bottom of that pot, the water flows through the pot, the, the roots get the water they need, but they can only absorb so much before the soil is super saturated, water flows out from the bottom of the pot, um, and then it either evaporates or you have to clean it up. Uh, it, yeah. it can't all be taken up at once. And actually, the majority is not taken up. Uh, it's runoff. And that runoff is what produces um, cyanobacteria, algae blooms, um, which is... All the fun stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Extremely toxic for uh, aquaculture environments. And so this, by being in more of a closed system, this is eliminating that issue. That's right. Yeah, that's where the RAS Vanguard is super uh, leading edge technology a RAS system um, is considered a better industry practice because it is not just dumping water and nutrients back into the environment. It's recirculating that water. So um, it doesn't use nearly as much as traditional agriculture. It takes that water that might flow through your plant after watering it, and it puts it back through the top so that it gives the roots a chance to absorb it over and over and over again by recirculating. And that recirculation makes it a much more efficient process. So not only are you saving the environment by not throwing a ton of excess nutrients into aquifers and water bodies, but you're also saving water. There is a ton of water waste in traditional agriculture, mm -hmm. whereas in a recirculating aquaculture system, either through hydroponics or aquaponics, uh, both recirculate that water instead of just throwing it away when it's done. Right. And I know to play devil's advocate a little bit, the offset to that is you're using a lot more energy, right, to keep that water moving. Net, is that net? It's actually still less energy than a traditional is it farm. Really? Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I don't <laughs> like agriculture farms is not my wheelhouse. I don't know right. too much of those processes. So it, um, I just know that like when you're comparing like a pond bait, like a earthen pond fish right. farm versus a RAS, like an indoor RAS system, your costs are going to be much more impacted by the energy usage than it would on, right. on there, uh, the pond farm, which there's different offsets. It know. uses more um, electricity and, and resources than a traditional aquaculture system. It uses still less than a traditional agriculture system. Oh, let's see. I did not know that. Yeah. So, um, and that's why, like, it's really exciting to see these kinds of farms pop up in warehouses. Like you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. there is space in industrial um, warehouses that's not being used. And the beauty of aquaponics is that it can be placed anywhere. In fact, it thrives most in indoor facilities. And there are plenty of indoor facilities uh, in, the, in major cities that can take advantage of 
the fact that you can create a vertical farming system. So you use a fraction of the land necessary for a traditional agriculture farm. Uh, you, you also shorten food travel miles by producing crops in the middle of a major city as opposed to shipping in tons yeah. of crops from farmland to these major cities. Yeah, and burning fossil fuels to get there. Um, that's cool because like you you think from it from a traditional agriculture standpoint, you're you're basically going from a two-dimensional plane that you have available to you to a three-dimensional plane that you can expand upward. Right. Which is just super efficient. So that brings me to the question, what types of plants can you actually efficiently grow? And on the other side, what species of fish? Because I, I'm picturing, I feel like you can think about this in a couple different ways, right? Like one, you can think about, okay, we're raising fish, but we're also able to raise lettuce along with our tilapia or something, right? So are you, is the goal to raise fish that have a good growth rate and are efficient enough to grow fast enough to harvest and eat and like you're raising fish for eating food? And then in addition, you can also grow lettuce or is it like, this is a more efficient way to grow all of these crops. So we're just using the fish to basically like fertilize the water or is it both in, in a perfect world to me, it's both. Right. Yeah. I'd, I'd say, um, economically speaking, both, uh, is the goal for sure. Uh, there are some species that have much shorter grow out periods like tilapia. Um, a drawback to using tilapia is that they tend to be a very messy fish. So yes. there are significantly, uh, more sludge management, technologies you need to implement um which again this is the cost side of aquaponics is that you do need a much higher tech system than mm -hmm. traditional aquaculture uh in traditional aquaculture you can have flow through systems where you don't have to worry about a lot of the factors that could potentially go wrong and again it's a new science so it's not an established industry a aquaponics is extremely experimental which is also why it's kind of exciting because you can experiment with different species of fish to see what produces better nutrient balance for certain plants. Mm -hmm. and the majority of plants are going to be using relatively the same amount of nutrients, the same types of nutrients with minor differences, uh, depending like kale, I'm sure probably takes up more iron than most plants. Um, and I did read through a couple studies um, that looked specifically at what kind of maybe nutrient deficiencies would appear in plants uh, using these systems. And their results were, there, there are no significant deficiencies. Um, however, that is just one study um, and there are, there's much more research to be done in this field. Right, when there's only one study, it's like, how non-biased can this be? Right. You know, <laughs> so, unless you get multiple studies that corroborate a lot of the same ideas, then, right. um, yeah. then there's always potential for bias in those, right? Exactly. to look at. So I know of all the aquaponic systems that I've seen images of and stuff like that, it seems to be primarily leafy greens and vining fruit plants, like in squashes, tomatoes, things like that. That's right. But is there a limit to like what types of plants you can actually grow in an aquaponic system? Like you're not going to be growing like an indoor vertical cornfield, you know? <laughs> right. That. So that. Or can you? That would be so cool. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the exciting part is it, it is perfectly possible the challenge there comes from the infrastructure right yeah so nutrient dense plants are a big focus for aquaponics um, and plants that don't necessarily need a lot of root structure to grow like lettuce um, the the roots of these plants grown in these systems don't grow nearly as much as traditional 
agriculture plants because they don't need to reach down into the soil to find water. No, something like carrots or right, potatoes yeah. like that are that where you're actually eating the root. Right. Root plants, um, you'd struggle to grow those yeah. in an aquaponic <laughs> system, uh, especially considering it it's almost constantly saturated. Um, however, there are systems that allow kind of an inflow outflow where it's it's acts similar to a tide where the, the water raises and then lowers periodically. Jeez, this is, this is so cool. I'm, so, I'm having so much fun. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> okay, so what has been your experience? What have you grown crops-wise and fish-wise? And kind of what did you? what are some of the challenges that you noticed when you were doing it? Because I'm sure that there are listeners out there who maybe have a, a small little system that they would love to, you know, implement some plants and stuff. But um, what's what's been your experience with it? So... Personally, I have really been focusing on herbs uh, more than anything. A lot of people really enjoy to have a uh, like a windowsill herb garden, for example, uh, because it's not terribly difficult to maintain. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can grow uh, a pretty sizable herb garden with just a single 30-gallon fish tank. Um, and I personally don't grow out fish in my home aquaponic systems. It's not terribly difficult to make. All you need is some PVC, some red solo cups, and <laughs> you, there you go. You have the building blocks um, and some water pumps. It's There are tons of online DIY explanations and uh, in-depth looks of how well different species do in different systems. Uh, my next adventure, actually, as I'm looking at starting a mini rainbow trout farm, to then grow out primarily lettuce, leafy greens, kale, uh, char. Um, And so these kinds of plants are pretty easy to grow in a system. Mm -hmm. However, um, once I have that established, uh, a more established, larger uh, infrastructure, I will be experimenting with things like corn um, and plants that are harder to grow in the system to to figure out that that become the first. Yeah. (laughs) Vertical cornfield. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Kyle's reach for the stars corn. Right. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. And I the 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 biggest system I've built so far that isn't a fish grow out facility, but rather a ornamental fish um type is actually at Champlain College. I applied for a grant uh to build a very robust experiential learning opportunity that I could then place in the commuter lounge at Champlain College and um, that I won this grant and got all the materials I needed and uh, built it up late nights in the commuter lounge uh, with this 60 gallon tank with a 30 gallon sump system and a another 20 gallon uh, extra water reservoir Um, and I, I actually bought a very fancy hydroponic tower uh, that was not at all meant for aquaponics. Uh, I made some minor modifications where I just added some hoses to exchange the water from the fish tank to this tower, and it just flows through. It pumps it right up to the top, top and flows through like a racetrack through each layer. So cool. And uh, that is essentially, I left that there as a bit of a, it's my capstone project, um, a legacy. Uh, that students can interact with. And I meant for it to be an extension of the already existing community garden, which at Champlain College, unfortunately, is 
limited to summer months. You, mm. There is no opportunity for students to grow anything other than in summer months of, with the community garden. So this was a chance for students to buy like a five or ten dollar plot and put grow whatever plants they wanted in uh, the the tower itself and take care of the fish and be involved and learn about the nitrogen process. There's a whole infographic standing up behind this tank that uh, explains why this is here, how to use it, what the nitrogen cycle is. And I just really, my hope is that students are able to get excited about, wow, this is a new technology. Yeah. I have not seen this before. Why aren't we doing this more? <laughs> well, what a cool place to put it too, right? In a place that people are going to be anyway, and it's, you're using or, ornamental fish. So what it will, not koi, I'm guessing is that too no. big, but like with just like small um, freshwater. Yeah. Just comet goldfish. Very yeah. simple. Um, that, just Petco fish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And that's, it's not hard to start. That's so cool. What a good idea. Um, I, where is that? It's uh, right in Burlington, Vermont. Okay. Um, like the front door of Champlain College, the commuter lounge is right there. Um, and it's uh, right, right across from the mail center, actually. I'll have to look and see if there's pictures of that online. Maybe we can put it in the show notes or something. That'd be yeah, so cool. there might be. Fantastic. All right. I'm, when I get excited about something, my mind goes all over the place. So I'm kind of bouncing around different topics. But <laughs> I had... Okay, so my perception, my simplified perception of aquaponics has always been, and I think a lot of people would think this way, that, that don't have the experience of like diving into systems design and system maintenance and all that stuff, which I do, but for some reason, this is still where my mind went. So <laughs> to me, it was always the fish poop, water gets dirty. Mm -hmm. Dirty water goes through plant roots. Plant roots clean the water by taking out those nutrients water goes back into the fish tank and that's the cycle that's yep. how i was always like it was like oh the, the water is cleaned by the plants that's how i always kind of thought of it even though i have literally designed and built ras systems <laughs> yep <laughs> so in an aquaponic system do you need like a biofilter with biomedia like bioballs or something in there to to propagate those nitrifying bacteria do you need like a drum filter or like a physical filter to take out some of the solid? Like, do you need a, basically a full RAS system that also incorporates plants? At what point does the, those things kind of meet? Right. Um, yeah. So for the system I built at Champlain, I... Yeah, let's use that as an example. That's a great example. It, yeah, it's, it's the best example for ornamental fish. Um, it's certainly not built to harvest fish because that has a whole bunch of food safety implications. Right. So well, let's get into that. Maybe maybe we'll save that for like part two, right? Yeah. Like the more detailed, if you like, if you want to incorporate aquaponics into your existing RAS system, or if you want, if you're thinking of building one of these systems from the ground up for fish harvesting and crop harvesting, uh, and by crops, I mean plant, plant harvesting, mm -hmm. maybe like we'll get into the nitty gritty of that in the next episode. Right. Because we're already at 36 minutes. So, you know, we're doing good on time, but um, yeah. So go ahead and continue. Let, let's focus on kind of the work that you did as an example of a more simplified system. Right. Yeah. So that I, it is simplified. However, I, given the grant I had, I wanted to create the most robust system that was built to last. Yeah. Let me clarify. Simplified, but not, does not mean simple. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I actually use this, uh, there's a biomedia reactor in the sump system underneath there. Okay. Um, and that media reactor normally would have um, 
let's say like bio pellets that uh, help absorb the ammonia and nitrogen. Um, carbon filters also absorb those sort of toxins that aren't otherwise have no means of leaving the system. Mm -hmm. In the case of aquaponics, you still need to house the bacteria, and that's what the biomedia reactor is for. It takes uh, media, which really is just these little uh, plastic wheelhouse-looking things. That... Yeah, they're like cogs. Almost. Yes, yeah. Like cogs and wheels. They just have a lot of surface area because right. they got all little indents and, and stripes and stuff. Exactly. It's Any media with a significant amount of surface area, um, that can – you start your your – bacteria system with it's quite literally like inserting uh probiotics like yeah. that you would take oh you can buy it yeah you can exactly. buy, it's like a little bottle and yep. it's like here's your nitrobacter like or a little packet pour this packet of liquid into your then then that's right th but then you got to feed it right yeah you got to start putting stuff in there for it to eat yeah before it gets so before i even added fish to this system i had all the all this like sciencey kit stuff that was just full of uh, artificial nitrogen and uh, and uh well ammonia actually and then the nitrate, I was measuring the nitrates and nitrites to monitor how those little colonies of bacteria were doing. Mm -hmm. um, and every other day or so, I'd go in and insert another 60 milliliters of this bacteria and add a pinch of ammonia. And they would slowly start to accumulate also through in the gravel of the system through throughout, um, but primarily in the biomedia reactor. Mm -hmm. So that is constantly circulating it's just a pump that pushes the the media around um and the, the, that serves a purpose by ensuring the strongest colonies of bacteria can form there nothing old or dead take takes up space mm -hmm. so only good strong bacteria can grow on those media and they consume this this ammonia I'm putting into the tank artificially so that they can be prepared for when actual organisms enter the tank, they are able to handle that load and detoxify the tank, uh, which you mentioned earlier, ammonia is extremely ex toxic to fish. Yeah. Uh, nitrites, also pretty extremely toxic. However, there's more of a tolerance. Nitrates, toxic, but you, At extreme levels. you need to be like, two or 300 parts per million uh, for nitrate to be a serious issue to, to the health of your ecosystem. Which if you're filtering your water. Right. And yeah. doing regular water changes and, you know. Exactly, which, um, yeah, that my, my fish tank at home right now, that's not the one that isn't hooked up to an aquaponic system. I do a water change once a, once a month, once every two months, um, and the water stays crystal clear because mm -hmm. of the bacteria. And you do have like physical like filter socks or something to collect the the, the solids right. yep solids do need to be filtered out and because there's going to be uneaten food there's going to be solid waste product from the fish exactly yeah so it is almost just like an addition onto an ras system right as opposed to a replacement of some of those components yeah and the the only thing that you wouldn't include um is carbon like uh, a traditional sump system has some sort of carbon filter mm -hmm. to to like grab a charcoal those. filter or right something, yeah. activated carbon via charcoal that sort of uh that detoxifies the water but you if you were to put that in an aquaponic system you would lose the nutrients that the plants it would neutralize need to grow. those 
Yeah. Those nutrients that the plants need. So Yeah. And that's also a part of the filter that needs to be replaced fairly frequently um, in order for it to, because it, it can only absorb so much of that, God, those toxins. Breathing in that. <laughs> that black powder yeah. is like, oh my god yeah i'm sure I list, some of our listeners have, have <laughs> experience with that too i remember those days what about like uv i know that the, a lot of RAS right. systems uh treat their water with uv systems so the water goes through a, a, a basically a pipe that is lined with uv bulbs that help kind of eliminate viruses and stuff right is that right a- that that is a i'm i didn't include any uv sterilization in this tank it's uh, it's more of a concern for larger systems where yeah. you really want to control exactly where the microorganisms are living. Yeah. Um, so containing them specifically in the biomedia reactor and not allowing them to grow anywhere else gives you more control over the system. Uh, and that's not necessarily something that was needed for a, a tank of this size. Right, 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 right. But if someone is looking to implement this into a larger facility, it's definitely something to look into yeah, for sure. Cool. And we, we'll, like I said, we'll talk about that more in the next episode. But I think this is super cool. Obviously, you see me getting excited about it. I love this stuff. And it's cool because it, it is something that can be implemented on such a small scale. So people can do this in like their basements or in their in a greenhouse in their backyard for fairly affor- affordable yeah. costs, right? Like you're not going to have to drop $100,000 just to build one of these systems for yourself. You could, you certainly could. You very well could. You could come up with a pretty cool system. But yeah, that's really interesting. And I think the the thing that our listeners are going to be most interested in is the fish harvesting side of things too. It's almost like this is an added benefit. It's almost like diversifying mm-hmm. your fish farm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the- Do, Does this at all take away from the success of an established fish rearing system? In your opinion, you you know, I I know that you haven't actually like done the research on this, but I'm sure you have enough experience that you can form an opinion. (laughs) Right. I'd say it does limit your configuration because if you're used to something like a flow through system, you do need to configure it to a recirculating system. Um, So you are shoehorned into having a uh, recirculating aquaculture system as opposed to the much probably much easier method of uh, flow through or pond land-based ponds there's a lot less you need to do with certain kinds of systems like that Um, but even a land-based pond um, my my father has a land-based pond in his backyard that has a whole ecosystem frogs turtles uh, in addition to fish um, and he simply pumps out that water and flows it through raised beds in his garden that uh, can absorb those nutrients there. Uh, so the, it's a lot more flexible. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it can conform to almost any system. However, RASP being the most productive when it comes to aquaculture and hydroponics working together. Right. And we've talked a lot about the benefits of a RASP system and just having that much control over mm-hmm. the environment that what you're growing is in mm-hmm. um, has a lot of benefits. So cool. Kyle. You are going to come back. We're going to have you back on the show, like I said, within the next month or so mm-hmm. with a guest. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the nitty gritty and the science of aquaponics. Some of our listeners may not want to get into the nuts and bolts, but some of them are going to get really excited about getting down in, into the you know the molecular level of what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be really cool. I'm really excited. But is there anything else for this episode? that you think is important that we talk about before we wrap up. I think I've already addressed the, the fact that it's, you know, built to whatever 
your purposes are. Mm-hmm. It's it's a flexible system and it's exciting to build new systems. There are so many more innovations that need to happen mm-hmm. for this to become an industry practice. And it's the where, where the exciting part is, is the experimenting. Yeah. So the fact that people go out and try new things that might not work is what's important. Um, so that's all I have to say about that. Cool. Well, I won't have you give advice for people who are doing it quite yet because I want to wait until I have you and our next guest on for the part two to really kind of give advice to anyone that wants to start doing this. But you're going to have to wait for the next one. So sorry about that. (laughs) What's the best way for people to get in contact with you if they have questions or if they just are just super excited about what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I can I can always be reached through uh, my my work email, which is kyle.harrison at globalseafood.org. And yeah, no, I'm always, always happy to answer questions or, or, or get into any, anything having to do with aquaculture, hydroponics, aquaponics. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you came and found me yeah. um, to tell me this because I had no idea that this is what you did. You know, I know you from this perspective, the capacity that we've worked together, which has been a lot of technological, basically building out <laughs> courses online and stuff, um, which is, is very different from this. So I didn't know that you were into it. So I'm really glad that you came to me. I'm really excited to have you on here. I'm sorry that Justin and Maddie couldn't be here for this. They're both out today, but you know, stay tuned everyone for part two of our aquaponics discussion. And uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Folks, that was my conversation with Kyle Harrison from here at GSA, all about aquaponics and hydroponics. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I hope you're as excited and giddy about this as I am and as he is. And look out in the next couple months. It's not going to be next week, but uh, you know, over the next few months, we are going to do kind of a second part to this, diving into a little bit more detail about aquaponics systems and uh, the science behind them and how they work and talking about how you can implement them into a larger scale fish farm to diversify your output so be on the lookout for that remember if you're not subscribed to aquademia you need to go into whatever platform you're listening to us on right now and make sure you hit that subscribe button that way every time a new episode comes out it'll automatically be downloaded directly to your phone your tablet your computer wherever you listen and uh, you don't need to go searching for it if you want to get in contact with us you can find us on twitter at aquademia pod or you can use the contact form at globalseafood.org podcast leave us a rating and review wherever you listen that really helps us out and we appreciate everybody that has already done that and remember if you want to be more involved in what we do at the global seafood alliance you may want to consider becoming a member and all of the information and benefits about our membership program can be found at globalseafood.org membership. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you next time.